Hello everybody, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect Week 15 NFL Recap Show. I got Chris Miller in the house. We're going to break down the Packers' rise in the NFC North, the Cowboys and Patriots keeping their winning ways going, his Oakland Raiders clinching a playoff spot, their first since 2002, and how with two weeks left in the season, we're still muddled. We still don't know who exactly is even going to make the playoffs as well as some NFL MVP talk as well. And then I'm going to break down three things that have caught my attention this week. It's a holiday week. It's a special show. I hope you got some eggnog by the fireside. And you're ready to listen to the Money Mitch Effect, which starts right now. All right, week 15, another week in the books. Money Mitch Effect, time to recap NFL football. And I brought back Chris Miller. Yes, sir. Our guest on the show, Chris. Thanks for coming back. Of course, I love being here. It's a big week for us. This is a lot to talk about, a lot to recap. We're going to go all over the world to really break down this extraordinary week 15. I say that a lot, but this is a very dynamic week. I don't think we're any closer to knowing or even having a good idea of who's going to be in the Super Bowl this year. No, I mean, <laughs> people finally clinching playoff spots becomes a little more obvious, but it's still a crapshoot. I mean, that's great. I it, love it. It's amazing. And I'm going to break one of the rules today on the show. It's not the cussing rule, so let's just <laughs> down there. I can see you getting up on the chair. We're not a list of people you're about to ream out, but no, it's not that. There's a lot going on in the NFL, Chris, so I'll let you get the ball rolling. What's the one game you want to start with first? What's the one game that really captivated you? I think you have an idea. Mm. The, one the one game, game that captivated first? me, here's here's what I'm going to say, and you're going to think, what? But honestly, Tennessee, Kansas City. Oh, okay, all right. I thought yeah. for sure we were going somewhere else. No, no, what, what, because I'm a Raiders fan? i got to talk about the Raiders? No, oh, we very, got plenty of time to talk about the Raiders. It's very professional of you. I like that. Okay. Well... But that has implications to the Raiders because now they're number one in the division again because of this game. The Chiefs fall to the Titans at home by a final score of 19-17. to And, hey, the, the Titans, Chris, the Tennessee Titans of the yep. revamped AFC South are now 8-6, <laughs> and six, yeah. tied for first with the Houston Texans and really in the driver's seat going into the final two weeks of the season. Now, this game had a lot to offer. The Chiefs were in control early. But then the offense just stopped. They couldn't do much of anything. Titans score late and then go for two, inexplicably maybe, but they don't get it. Three minutes left. They still get the ball back. And Ryan Suckup's 50-plus yard field goal was the difference makers. There's a lot to process of this game, but what is your big takeaway from the Tennessee side? How were they able to just gut out a tremendous win? Dick LeBeau, I think, needs a lot of credit. Always does, doesn't he? He I mean, a lot of credit. At some point, he might get another head coaching opportunity. I don't know. But that man is a is a great defensive coordinator. And I was actually talking to one of my buddies the other day, who's also a Raiders fan. And both of us were like, that the Tennessee is definitely a team we don't want to see in the playoffs. I mean, there's a lot of these teams I wouldn't want to play against right now. Pittsburgh as well. But Tennessee's defense is rolling. Uh, Mariota is playing very well. And that run game with Murray and Henry is scary. So... LeBeau can fight out coach. He knows defenses. This team just cut two weeks ago one of their starting sec- members of their secondary, Parrish Cox. Yeah. Just released him because he was playing so bad. And yet they're able to come back and hold the Chiefs team that was two in the conference, under 20 on the road. Yeah. Marcus Mariota, I keep coming back to what this guy can do, and it's more than numbers to me. 
You oh, know, yeah. we, we live in this numbers world, and now stats are getting out of control. Sure. But there's a difference between a guy that, maybe like that quarterback in Jacksonville that just loves to post some numbers, <laughs> or a quarterback that just grasps the moment. Down by seven, leads a drive down the field, relies on the run, makes the right decisions. Okay, yeah. then doesn't get the two-point conversion play. Still says, I'm going to throw it away, I'm going to forget it, short-term memory, come back, and put my team in field goal range. <laughs> yeah. The stat about him not throwing a red zone pick... If anything, that just shows his intelligence, his ability to just not take those chances that could cost your team points. This is a dangerous Titans team. Now, I can't believe I'm saying it, but you said running game, smart defense, well-coached, and a sharp quarterback. Sounds like a good playoff formula for me if we're really breaking it down. That's definitely a fantastic formula for the playoffs. I mean, it's basically what the Broncos were last year. I'm not saying Tennessee is the same as uh, the no-fly zone or anything like that, but they're playing really well, and... They definitely handed it to a very good Chiefs team on the road. I gotta say about the Chiefs though, I mean we're probably overreacting because the Titans prove out to be good. This could just be a, a, a tough loss, but not a terrible loss. I can't see a team that was rolling. Offense just sputtered at the end. Yeah. Andy Reid, not his best performance. His clock management was a little suspect. Big surprise there. Yeah. He decides to try to ice the kicker. You know, and I'm not sure about this Chiefs team. The biggest thing with them is they're not flashy. They're always going to be in games. They're not going to blow teams out. Right. Which you can look at. Glasses half full. We're always in it. We can always make a run. Glasses half empty. We can't put teams away. And you get to the playoffs, and a hot quarterback can just make your life miserable and just toast you down the end. So I think this is a Chiefs team that, much like the Raiders before them last week, this is a comeback-to-earth moment. I don't know how good any of these teams are in the AFC. The Chiefs were vulnerable, too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, unfortunately, the Chiefs have a very good defense, but what they don't have is that ability to score quickly when they need to. Mm-hmm. They don't stretch the field. They do only when they play the Raiders for some reason. That's All of a sudden, Alex Smith becomes a gunslinger. Uh, that but, secondary <laughs> might have something to do with that. Okay, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe. we got to be honest there. It's possible. You know, they just they don't have that, that flash. They're very good at controlling the ball, and they're very good at playing a slow sort of half-court sort of game like they're kind of like the San Antonio Spurs of uh, the NFL but they they're not a team that you know if they're down they're gonna light you up they're just not that kind of team so here we are now Chiefs fall back to earth they lose this game and your Raiders get the win move right back into the driver's seat clinch a playoff spot with their win over the Chargers yep it was ugly. It wasn't pretty. Was we that? mentioned the, the vulnerabilities in that Raiders secondary, but time and time again, this Oakland team, different than in years past, as you know, first playoff appearance in 14 years. Yeah. They have a, a keen ability to make plays when the game's on the line, and it starts with the gunslinger, Derek Carr. Yeah, he did, and so did Michael Crabtree. I mean, Michael Crabtree oh, had, what a, a catch. had an amazing catch in the end zone, uh, and, but that's what Crabtree does. And the defense, the defense two weeks in a row was really sort of the darling of the, of the game. You know, the, the offense is the one that you're wondering what the heck is going on here. And the defense was the ones that showed up. You know, I know Rivers still had two TD passes, three for 206 yards. Not fantastic, but you know, they had the one long one to Travis Benjamin. Other than that, like the defense really stepped up and played a really good game. I mean, they shut the run game down. Total of 73 yards. Rushing 206 yards passing, not bad. Yeah, Under yeah. 300 yards for the for the Raiders defense. And hey, know, I'll take that any day. And I know you love the uh, Raiders hostile takeover of the San Diego Stadium. Qualtech love it. Stadium got taken over. Love it, was it so bad they didn't even announce the Chargers home starters. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. I'm not even joking. Yeah. They would not announce the starters because the Raider cheers 
we're too loud. You gotta, I mean, you gotta feel a little bit about the people of San Diego are probably not gonna have a football team <laughs> next year. Yeah, the way yeah. things are looking, but it was ugly. It was a divisional rivalry. I had this one circled as a potential upset because these teams always play each other close. Yep. I look at this Raiders team now at eleven and three, six and one on the road. Although this wasn't the traditional road game, they're going into their last two weeks of the season. Two tough tests: a Colts team and a Broncos team, both yep. fighting for everything. They could go from anywhere from a two seed all the way down to a five seed, depending on what happens. I think I think right. they pretty much clinched the five seed going forward. It would take a lot of help and some pretty bad losses in both games. But this is a team still, the Raiders. I think we're going to really start to see what this team's made of in these games. Because in my opinion, the playoffs start next week. You're going to get that playoff atmosphere every game out from here on in. Definitely. Well, I think the playoffs really started last Thursday, at least the Raiders, when they mm-hmm. played the Chiefs on the road. When they've been tested, they've been sort of 50-50. I mean, that Chiefs game was pretty ugly. But they've had moments like today where they just were faltering. They had you know, the Carolina game where Carr gets his finger jacked up. And they've persevered. And I think that they have it in them. They're a very young team, but they don't play like a young team. No, no. They're... They have like a, like a veteran swagger to them. I'm not saying this team's perfect. And no. I'm saying the AFC is imperfect. <laughs> No. So this could be an opportunist. Uh, everybody in the NFL has to be opportunistic. The Raiders are no different. Del yeah. Rio's coached a great game. He's aggressive. I mean, sometimes I know as a fan, you're probably like, ah, it's a little too aggressive <laughs> for my taste. He's made but, my heart stop a few times, yeah. But he has the right formula, and it's working. As I sit here still talking with Chris Miller on the Money Mitch effect. We'll come back to the AFC West in a second, but first I want to talk about one of the most uh, interesting stories of the day was the Jaguars-Texans game because there was a lot of different directions that we could go on. And I, I was wrong last week. I said Jaguars-Texans is a game we probably weren't going to factor in too much. This had everything you want in it. It had a quarterback bench, the coach fired at the end of the game, a team fighting for the division, an ugly football game in the AFC South. And one less opportunity for me to wear a dress at work thanks to the Texans. One less, yeah. That dress watch was affected by this as well. Yep. The Texans win this game. And the biggest story from the Texans' side is that they finally made the move. I should say finally because at this point I was waiting for them to just do it in the playoff game. But they win 21-20, to come back. Brock Osweiler benched in the first half after two interceptions. They come to Tom Savage, and Tom Savage, Tom Savage Garden gets it done and just <laughs> puts yeah. everything out there for him, played great football. Yeah. I don't know, looking at this perspective, in a game they had to win, a game they had to rally to win at home, yeah. I don't know how you don't ride this guy the rest of the season. Bill O'Brien said he's not sure. Throw the money out the window. O'Brien has a job he wants to keep. Savage has to be the quarterback, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, I would say the Texans definitely have a problem I wouldn't want to have. Like, oh, hey, who do we want to start this week? Brock Osweiler or Tom Savage? Tom but, but, Savage is going to start a home playoff game in the NFL. That's right. incredible. Like, I think that's as, 2016. What a year. As crazy as this may sound... Tom Savage today came in and does what Tom Savage has done in the NFL. Like, he's come in and actually had some really good electrifying games for the Texans. It's it's crazy to think about it, but he's had some really good moments for them. The thing about Osweiler, I, he's getting paid all this money, $37 million guaranteed. Yeah. He was awful. Like, there's no defending it anymore. O'Brien gave him every opportunity. Every opportunity. We're in week 15. Yeah. It took him this long to make the move that a lot of us... And anybody that wasn't paying Osweiler that much money would have done well, well earlier. Well, I think it's partly because the Texans' defense has bailed them out of a lot of games. Oh, for sure. Uh, But yeah, Osweiler has magically done the one thing 
that uh, a lot of Texans quarterbacks haven't been able to do, and that's make DeAndre Hopkins not a good receiver. Yeah, and you know what? I want to I just add to that point really quick. That was the biggest takeaway for me. Hopkins, eight catches, 87 yards today, most of that with Tom Savage. Tom Savage, Savage yeah. comes in, and the first thing he does <laughs> is throw the ball to this top five, top ten receiver in the NFL. Right. I mean, it's a pretty simple formula, and I'm not look, I'm not for or against Savage yet. Obviously, we don't know, but it looks a lot more promising than the Brockett ship. <laughs> Brockett ship, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you definitely have to ride the hot hand. Um, it's crazy again to think that Tom Savage is your hot hand, but and sometimes you got to win with a pair of sevens. That's right. That's right, and I think that's Savage. You know, and if he's going to be willing to throw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins, then yeah. Ride that Hopkins train. So the other side of this game, Chris, was that that Houston was down thirteen to two in this game at a point. <laughs> thirteen. To the two, Jaguars yeah. blew this yeah. game. Another typical Jacksonville loss. They're two and twelve. But now they yeah. finally decide to cut bait with Gus Bradley. Gus Bradley fired. First, the timing of this move, Chris. I, I don't. I don't fully understand it. And I'm saying it from a sense that I was always on the Bradley is going to be the first to go train. Yeah. Khan, their owner, shouted. Khan says. We expected a winning season. He could have made this move a month ago if that's what was the deal breaker. And that's what I don't understand. Why not fire him a month ago? Why wait till this point in the year with just two weeks left in the season? If he wasn't going to wait till the end of the season, I think he should have just wrote it out then and just (laughs) just kept it going. I don't don't agree with the timing. Well, I think part of it is, I mean, again, I don't have insider information. I'd love to say I'm a journalist with those sort of things, but... You know when your team is bad, but you wait to fire your head coach. Part of that is because you don't have one lined up, or at least one that you know you want right away. So I think that might be a scenario. I don't think there's a lot of people lining up to be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, especially with the Rams' position wide open. Right, and but I think if you make that move a month ago, you give someone on staff a chance to maybe earn the job in the interim position. You yeah, but how often does you that have. work out? It doesn't all the time. But, I mean, I don't right. know about this roster. There might be some talent. I think there is some talent there. You get to see a little bit more of what you have maybe used in different situations. Yeah. A new voice in the room to lead. But Gus Bradley is fired with a career record for the Jaguars of 14-48. Now, that's a winning Woo! percentage of two twenty six. Here's your stat of the day, it, from my perspective. My stat of the day for you, Chris. Sure. Bill Belichick. Could go 0 and 16 for the next 41 years, and he'd still have a better win percentage. Wow. Than Gus Bradley. Wow. Okay, that beats my stat today. Here's my Dropping stat. Dropping knowledge. I don't want to drop the mics. These are too expensive for my budget. That's <laughs> it. My stat was going to actually be from this game. Blake Bortles, two rushes, negative five yards, hmm. but yet one touchdown. Wow. That's <laughs> How great. about that that's for a just, stat that's line? Just, I mean, I'm, I'm on. You know, you swung me. I was, I was thinking Bortles the bus. <laughs> No, but this is a team that definitely has some talent. I think Jalen Ramsey is definitely a legit cornerback. The Allen twins, you know, Robinson and Hearns are legit wide receivers. They have pieces. It just, I don't know, Bortles can't seem to get out of his own way. Before we move on to another game on the Money Mitch Effect with Chris Miller, that's two coaches now. Jeff Fisher and Gus Bradley are fired. I want to just briefly rev the engines. We're not going to get the ride going. I want (laughs) to rev the engines for the coaching carousel. Yeah, yeah they, it's good. I hope you can use that for <laughs> hey, future reference. You could. You can use that as much as you want. That's so, <laughs> so we had, we usually play this game every year, and seven was about our soft estimate. Yep. Six, seven range. I think that looks pretty good Six, right seven, now. Yep. We're already at two. We, and Chris, just really quickly, how many more are realistic possibilities as we get to that Black Monday? Well, here's the thing, and, and we talked about this 
what, a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. And I told you that my number right now is sitting at seven. Yeah. My predictions. So, Fisher, we obviously already know. Uh, and Bradley this was, was my number one, so I, I'm, I'm still mad that Stan yeah. Kroenke trolled me. <laughs> I mean, that's the only reason he brought him back, was right. to make me lose this competition. But all right, Stan's cool. you got yeah. a football team. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, Gus Bradley was one of my other ones, mm-hmm. so we already know that. But I also put Mike McCoy on there. I think he's definitely on his way out. Hugh Jackson. Uh, this is this is not like a uh, like a definite order, okay. but I think Hugh Jackson's definitely mm-hmm. you know I mean, and I got nothing against Hugh Jackson. I actually think he's a good coach, but you go zero and sixteen, it's really hard to survive. Marvin Jones, I think, is definitely on his way out. I don't. I think uh, whatever it is that's kept him. Marvin since, Lewis. Sorry, Marvin Lewis. God, did I just say Marvin Jones? Yeah, hey. Um. Yeah, that's what I meant. Jesus. Marvin Lewis. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he hasn't played that well. Marvin, Marvin Jones, the wide receiver yeah. for the Detroit Lions, is definitely on his way yeah. out as a head coach. Marvin Lewis, I think Rex Ryan's definitely in the hot yeah, seat. Yeah, safe. He's gone. Uh, Sean Payton is definitely in the hot seat. Well, they want to trade him, and that would count. If they if they trade him, we're making amendments here. That's, right. you know. And then, uh, like I said before, my wild card, I put this up as like a 50-50 jump ball, mm-hmm. it's Bruce Aarons. Okay. I think that's a good list. I'd add Chip Kelly to that list. I think Chip Kelly is definitely definitely sitting on a very warm seat. Wheels now it does. Yeah, I mean, I think though the Tom Sula fiasco from last year buys him one more year. And the other name too, I got to consider based on how much of a dumpster fire their season has been (laughs) at the end is Todd Bowles. Yeah, that that team, and I I know it's not all on the coaching, but they've completely quit, and uh, you you just got to wonder. I think of all yeah. the rosters in the NFL, they're probably going to have the biggest overhaul next year. There's a lot of veterans on that team getting paid a lot of money not to play good football. So yeah, how, it, it could be interesting there. We could have a lot. <laughs> how smart big. does the the Jets front office look now, though, by not giving Fitzpatrick that big contract that he wanted? He definitely did not live up to it this year. Yeah, that's part of it. So let's get back to some of the game recaps, Chris. And the Sunday night game just went final as we're taping this. Is yeah, Cowboys crazy Bucks. game. Cowboys bounce back and win. Bounce back. They've only lost twice all season. But they bounce back and win. They beat the Bucks twenty six to twenty in a very entertaining close game. The Bucks were winning going into the fourth quarter, twenty to seventeen. Yep. Bucks faltered down the stretch. Cowboys nine unanswered points win the game. A lot to take away from this one. First from the Dallas side. Here they are now twelve and two, still right back where they've always been, firmly in control of the playoff picture. Are we starting to get a better sense, Chris, for what this team's all about now playing some close games and, and really having to grind out some of these wins? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, you want to talk about a team that's showing maturity beyond their years. Uh, definitely Dallas. Dak and Ezekiel are looking like they've been doing this for a long time, especially Elliott. I know we talked about this a little bit, but just so you know, he did drop off a little bit this game and only averaged 6.9 yards per oh. carry. Nice. Uh, so pretty pretty sad game for Ezekiel Elliott for his 159 yards and one touchdown. Okay. Uh, quick music break for you. <laughs> <laughs> music break. I mean, I'm just curious though. Like, was this a game though where Dak and Elliott really grinded it out and pulled it off, or was this one that the Bucks kind of gave away? It felt like to me, like it just felt like Jameis. They did was sort of Jameis this game. I'm going to give credit to the Dallas defense. Yeah, 20 points the Bucks score, and seven of those. We're on a deflected touchdown that was pretty much blind luck. Jameis chucked it up. It went through the safety's hands. A new receiver in the end zone. Cowboy defense, preying on turnovers, wins the turnover battle. Very opportunistic and help propel their offense. The Cowboy offense is very conservative, and I don't say that as a bad thing. Prescott, 
Only four incompletions on the game. Wasn't taking a lot of chances. Yeah. Elliot, you mentioned 159 yards rushing and a touchdown. But I look at it as this is a team that just is going to play to their strengths. Yeah. And even when they're losing by a little, they know that they can just move the ball downfield, chew up clock, and take away some of the possessions the other team's going to get. And they just uh, wear you out. They wear you down. And that's part of it, too. The Buck defense was weared down. They played pretty good, all yeah. things considered, having to go into prime time, this young, up-and-coming Bucks team. Yeah. They were right in the game for most of it. They were just tired because the Bucks offense was not staying on the field long enough. Yeah, and honestly, like those last, what, two, three possessions that the Bucks had, that was really about how good Dallas's defense has been playing. Like they, they really have been like the redhead stepchild of this team. They get no credit for for how well Dallas is doing. Everyone wants to talk about Dak and Ezekiel because they're the flashy names. They're the headline grabbers. But the defense is playing really well. And honestly, this Dallas team looks a lot like Tennessee. Like They're built very similar. They have a quarterback that just doesn't make mistakes, and they have a run game that can just chew up clock and keep the defense on the field. And I'd like to just apologize to any redheaded people out there. <laughs> I was just totally, oh, why does that have to be a redheaded stuff, job? I, I make no apologies <laughs> to redheads, by the way. <laughs> the line is drawn in the sand. All right. Tampa Bay, on the other hand, this was the classic Jameis game. There's a yes. lot to like about this guy. Don't get me wrong. He yeah. has a strong arm. He's a sharp guy. He's a tremendous leader. And he made some great throws tonight. And his escapability was off the charts. But he took way too many chances. He left the ball out there, turned it over a bunch. Yeah, I'll take a guy. I keep saying it. I'll take a guy like a Mariota or even a Carr, although Carr's got a little bit of that you know, gunslinger in him. Jameis's big thing he has to correct as his pro career develops is not being as careless with the football. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and you could see it in those last few possessions. He had time. He was either his line was giving him time or he was moving around and getting himself time. But he was just holding on the ball way too long, couldn't figure out what he wanted to do with it. Part of it was because Dallas was playing good coverage. And then when he was letting it go, either he was throwing like a really bad pass or their last possession he threw the pick. Well, the Bucks are still fighting, and we're going to just briefly mention that the Falcons murdered the 49ers tonight. That Worst game team in the NFL. That game, <laughs> now you're just making me <laughs> sad. Now The Niners get destroyed by the Falcons, and the Falcons now move ahead in the division race to 9-5. and five. The Bucks are down to 8-6. and six. Bucks, should, we should point out, are still very much alive for a wild card, even if they don't win the division. Falcons at 9-5 and five can th- start even thinking about a top-two seed if they win out. Yeah. But... It doesn't look like the Bucks. We were looking at the tiebreaker, Chris. It doesn't look like the Bucks have that in favor. For those of you that don't know, they do divisional record after the head-to-head, which was obviously split. Bucks and Falcons each beat each other. Yep. The divisional record, they're both three and one. We think they should handle business from here on out. The next tiebreaker is against similar teams: the Raiders and Cardinals, both beaten by the Falcons. Both did numbers on the Bucks yep. and. We should say the Bucks raiders game was an overtime, but I think that's going to cost them, and it's almost at a point now. I know you'll never want to admit this in the locker room, but the wild card is almost looking like what should be the top goal now for the Bucks. Yeah, definitely. And right now, so obviously the, the Redskins are playing tomorrow, or Monday night, depending on when you're listening to this. Or Tuesday. <laughs> or Tuesday. Sure they, they, or they may have already played, depending <laughs> on when you're listening to this. Should they win? Let's say they did win that game. Then they take the sixth seed now. The Packers move up to the seventh spot, and the Bucks actually drop down to the eighth seed with this loss. So. Well, you know the Packers, and a lot of these teams have to play each other, too. That's one way. That it's hard to look at these numbers right now. Yeah. The Bucks went out. If they get to 10-6, and six, 
it's not going to guarantee them a playoff spot, but it should give them 50-50, maybe slightly ahead. 10-6 and six is going to be right. I think that's what the win-loss record is that's going to get that wild-card spot. I just don't know if it's going to be a tiebreaker system that the Bucks could win. But we'll have to see. Yeah. I do want to talk about that NFC North. You mentioned the Packers, Chris. Yeah. They beat the Bears 30-27. to 27 and On a game with game. With yeah. the Lions lost to the Giants. Here it is. Now Green Bay can win out and win the division. They finally got that game back in the outcome. 4-6 and six to now 8-6. and six, A lot closer than they would have liked. But I'm going to the final play that set up the field goal. The Bears were dominating that second half. Yeah. We're storming back from 27 to 10, tied it at 27. It's third and 11. The Packers were letting the play clock run. I think it was an unbelievable move of strategy. I think Rodgers knew exactly, and McCarthy knew exactly <laughs> what they were doing. They were yeah. baiting that Bears defense into thinking, we're just going to run this ball, we're going to play for overtime. And then Aaron Rodgers, the best arm still in the NFL, Chris, 55 yards downfield, drops a dime to Jordy Nelson. That's the play. Yeah. If the Packers accomplish something in the season, I'm going to look at that particular play as a, as a big turning point, a big example of what they were able to do. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers again. Like, Aaron Rodgers just doing what he does best, and that's win games. I mean, I know this hasn't been the greatest of years for the Packers, but when a game's on the line, there's very few quarterbacks that I want the, the ball in their hands, and he's definitely one of them. Jordy Nelson's finally starting to look like Jordy Nelson. He's starting to look like Jordy Nelson, and the the Packers are uh, they're going to make things interesting. Week seventeen against Detroit is going to be a fun game. It came down to me for first time. Montgomery is yeah. a legit running back. He's, He's no longer trying Jordan. to be a receiver. He's yeah. got that jersey off. But I don't know that he'll ever be a great running back. But for this offense, for what they need him to do, which is just make the defense honest. I think he's great for what they want to do. The defense still does need some work. This is a rivalry game. This is one that we're not really sure what to expect every time they play, yeah. regardless of the injuries. You know, And it was cold, so that's going to put a yeah. damper on everybody's efficiency. Right. But And I did get this great message you'll appreciate, Chris, And in Chicago, from, so. From the legendary Adam Musto. Oh. The Bears' rivalry with the Packers, that the Bears have dominated historically, yes. is now tied. Wow. 94-94 and a couple of ties. 20 years ago, twenty let's say 25 years ago, yeah. before before the quarterback position got solidified in Green Bay, yeah. the Bears had about a 20-game lead on wow. the rivalry. And they only played twice a year. Right. So in that time, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers have single-handedly erased the Bears' history book. Wow. I should say double-handedly that's, erased the Bears' history book. But how crazy is that? That's another great stat of the day. There's been some great, interesting stats this we're, week. We're dropping dimes today. Dropping just, some serious stats. stats. We're serving it up. I love that. That's great. That's... That just shows you how good well, <laughs> Favre and, and Rodgers are. But also the fact that the Bears have really been a team that's outside of the Super Bowl year, really kind of been on the decline. And yeah. They're sort of a mid-tier team. I, I think people also forget how short, relatively speaking, the Lombardi dominance years were. I mean, that was the 60s, but yeah. not even a full decade. He was already on D.C. and then tragically passed after that. Yeah. But, hey, you know, more power to the great greats in the game, and it's unbelievable. Before we move on to some more games on the Money Mitch Effect with Chris Miller, who's the MVP right now? Are we any closer to deciding that? Because if I had to cast my vote today, Chris, today, right this very moment, yeah, I got your guy at four. At four, okay. I got Brady at three. Wow. I got Zeke at two, and I'm voting for this guy, Aaron Rodgers. He's my MVP. That, that's who I'm voting for. I mean... It's a, it is a weird year. I'll give you that. Thing. I don't fully disagree with you because it's it's not... 
it's supposed to be the most valuable, not the most uh, best stats award. You know, Aaron Rodgers statistically has not had uh, as good of a year as he normally has, which is saying a lot, or not saying much, because he usually has really good years, and he's still having a pretty good year, just not Aaron Rodgers-esque. And, yeah, I mean, without him, yeah, the Packers just aren't aren't. I mean, still waiting for their touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> just Isn't that like, crazy? And he's, on, he's even, doing even on a down here, not even yeah. being able to run. It's, it's just something He's got receivers about. that don't want to catch the ball and don't want to get open, and yet he's still leading the league in touchdowns. I mean, Zeke's up there, too. Zeke's and, definitely and, up there. Unfortunately, I think, for me, even though I'm biased, like, Derek Carr's definitely kind of dropped out a little bit because he had a rough game against Kansas City. He had a rough game today against San Diego against a defense that he should have lit up. So, yeah, I mean, I still think that he's a big reason why the Raiders are where they are. But, yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers is a great pick. And Zeke, too. I mean, he's just... I don't even know. <laughs> I feel like I'm like doing a Chris Collinsworth impersonation. With that. Like, I don't know what <laughs> yeah, to do about Zeke. It's just, he's just amazing. Yeah, it's just something to chew on. Uh, yeah. And also, I wouldn't forget Le'Veon Bell. is probably rounding out my top five, just what he means to that Steeler offense. So, and real quick, too, the Giants beat the Lions. And we talked about it for the Lions' perspective. Now they're back in the dogfight. They can very well miss the playoffs still. They have two tough games left yeah. to play. But the Giants now, I mean, they're sitting at the second-best record in the NFC, and the offense has been pretty pedestrian for most of it. Should we all be taking notice and scared of what this Giants team could do in the playoffs? Yes, <laughs> because we see what happens when Eli Manning makes it to the postseason. He beats teams. He beats Tom Brady twice in the Super Bowl and like some of the most magical games you've ever watched. So, yes, you should be afraid. But most importantly... You should be afraid of this Giants defense. I mean, oh, look what they did the to Matthew they Stafford. A good, they have not had as good a one in Eli's tenure. It's the best defense he's ever played with. Top to bottom, and I say I that, know, I mean, that even they, with the pass rush they had, this defense is loaded from top to bottom. I would say the defense that they had when they first beat the Pats with Strahan was definitely a, a good defense. Yeah. That was a solid defense. But the secondary wasn't. It didn't really like this. Yeah, I mean that was just a good. massive pass rush. Yeah. Like, their front seven was probably one of the better front seven you've seen. Yeah, and here's the thing: they're doing it without JPP too. So yeah. how about that? There's a yeah. joke in there. I just don't want to. <laughs> I just don't want to make the the, the bleach. I feel like you're setting oh. me up for a joke, but I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> We're not talking about the Browns. No. Come on. No. Oh. Oh. Okay. All right. And you know I got to It's it's every time I'm here, I gotta get some sort of Browns jab. Well, we'll move to them quickly because I do want to talk about this game and the Browns lose sure. again. I don't know why people keep thinking this is gonna be the week. This is gonna be the week. I hear it every day. I did not think this is gonna be their week in Buffalo. That's a tough game. So they lose again by five. I'll score 27 to 13. I think that's what it finished. 33 to 13. 33 to 13. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to watch that garbage time. <laughs> but okay, so they lose that game, and now they're on 14. And now we really got to start looking at this team as being 0 and 16. I just don't know how. You mentioned Hugh Jackson on the chopping block. It goes beyond the coaching staff. This is going to be a big turning point for a lot of the members of this organization. I think oh, you yeah. have to start from scratch. And I know they have draft picks, and I know they have young talent. And a, a low salary number on the books, but yep. at a certain point, you just got to kind of say screw it and get some talent in here. And <laughs> they clearly haven't done that yet. I think this, a lot like the Colts, as I said earlier about the, one of the first times I was on your show, I think a lot of this goes down to the front office, just not putting together a good enough team to really compete in the NFL. 
And that starts with letting, you know, two top-tier offensive linemen walk in free agency instead of just, you know, opening up the damn checkbook and paying them. I mean, you just don't let, like, a you know, a Mitch Swartz just, like, walk out the door or Mac. I mean, you just don't. And then at the same time, they're going to, like, fight tooth and claw to hold on to Joe Thomas, but... Great, you have one good offensive line. The other four are garbage. Like even RG three can't freaking do anything behind that line, and he can at least be somewhat mobile. Yeah, it's just so sad. I, there's really nothing else to say. This team has no talent, <laughs> relatively speaking. I mean, I wouldn't say they have no talent. I think they just. Oh, I'm saying relative to the NFL. Yeah, I mean they're they're sort of a particle board team. Like there, you know, there's some good parts to it, but well, it's they haven't been able to stop any running game all yeah. season. Pass defense isn't much better than that. RG3, as much as I knock on him, he can't really do much with this team. I don't know many that could do with the weapons that they have. Yeah. And teams are starting to kind of figure out Terrell Pryor. He's yeah. just this freak athlete that doesn't run the best routes. Right. So, I mean, that's just fine. We'll, we'll move on because yeah. I don't want to get uh, too Pac-Man sad. Jones had a few choice words <laughs> yeah, for him last week. Yeah, still looking for him in the, in the <laughs> yeah. I, I saw. It's, it's tough when, you're, when your best receiver is a converted quarterback. Yeah. Sure. Well, hey, you know what? If there's anybody that I, uh, that I trust and take their word for... Pac-Man Jones. I mean, Pac-Man Jones. Honorable, honorable he's guy. Yeah, he's is, never once anybody I want to. If there's anybody I want to be with, you know, after hours, it's Pac-Man Jones. Yeah. So. But I will say this for the Browns. So they have next week they're playing at home against the Chargers, which is a possible win. Mm. But then they play the Steelers game. on the road in Week 17. And <laughs> I don't, I don't definitely don't no, see that's them. That's the coronation. That's really going to be the one that just breaks <laughs> my back. The coronation is going to be against Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, well, it's tough, but hey, at least at least you're not the only team, and you weren't the first team to go zero and sixteen. True. And there were teams prior to the sixteen game season that went zero and fourteen. Bucks so. and yeah, some yeah. other teams. Okay, so that makes me feel a little better. At least not you're much, but a little. At least you're not the only one at the bar drinking. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I will be doing <laughs> the most damage. All right. Yeah. Still talking with Chris Moore on the Money Mitch Effect. A couple more games to wrap up. I want to touch briefly on the AFC North picture. Steelers beat the Bengals 24-20. And the Ravens beat the Eagles 27-26. So both teams hold serve. Steelers still up a game at 9-5 in the division. Ravens 8-6. But let's just be real. Ravens and Steelers are going to play each other this week. And if the Ravens win, they will swept the series and will be in first place. So this was more of a formality. But... Both teams almost got trapped this week, Chris. Yeah. Some alarming signs, would you say, for both? Yes and no. I mean, I think the the biggest surprise was the fact that the Ravens had a big lead that they almost let slide with, with their talented defense, especially against, you know, a rookie quarterback. I mean, they got lucky on a, on a failed two-point conversion at the end of the game that essentially helped them win that game. Pittsburgh played a tough, tough road game against Cincinnati. Yeah, so, a team that hates them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely, I mean, probably the only team that hates Pittsburgh more than Baltimore is probably Cincinnati. And, and I think it might even be more than <laughs> more than Baltimore. We And the Browns hate them, too. But well, the yeah. Bengals' hatred is just, from a, on the football field, we want to take every shot we can at you. I think both teams might have been looking ahead. It's reasonable to say. And you have a case in Baltimore's case where they're kind of like the Chiefs. They're not really flashy, going to blow teams out. So whenever you right. keep a team hanging around, you leave yourself vulnerable. The Steelers just got caught in the it's a dogfight against a team that obviously isn't getting up for anything else. Like, they're, they're out of the playoffs. This right. is all they have. Let's see what happens. 
I do want to talk about the two-point conversion decisions in both these games. We know the Eagles go for it down by one, go for the win with about 10 seconds left. Yeah. The Steelers actually went for two at a point in the game when they were up by four with like four minutes left. Now, a lot of teams, a lot more teams going for two. Yeah. What do we make about this trend? And can we come to a uniform decision or is it on a case-by-case basis by how we evaluate the coaches' calls here? I mean, I think the the Tennessee two-point conversion, I think a big part of that was you're in KC, it's cold, it's windy, your chances of making that two-point conversion are probably about as good as making an extra point from 33 yards. Yeah, out. even though the kicker made the, the long one at the end. I, but I he missed it the first time he around. Did. He missed it the first time around. And with three minutes left, you're still thinking we could get the ball back. Right. Your defense was shutting down. <clears throat> See, I think you got to look at these on an individual basis because the Eagles yeah. are a bad team going nowhere. <coughs> Let's just go for the win now. Why go to overtime? Why? Why? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Eagles' decision, I think, wasn't necessarily a strategy. It was more like, you know what? We're not going anywhere this year. Let's at least make the, ga- the game and you know interesting. And then uh, you have Tomlin who just wants to go for two. Tomlin just likes <laughs> to do it because I, I think part of it is he's just kind of a – like an a-hole sometimes, you <laughs> well, know, he just likes doing it. It's a weird situation, though, yeah. because so you go for two there yeah. to make it a six-point game. There's still plenty of time left in that game. We talked about this before we went on air. Now with the with the rule that you can run it back, imagine if something bad goes on on that play. Right. It's only a four-point lead to two-point lead, and now yeah. a field goal can beat you. I think they're still figuring it out. I think we're still figuring it out as fans. I think the coaches are still trying to figure out what the best – plan is. It's new. I mean, the extra yeah. point rule adds a wrinkle to this. The weather, I think, played a small factor into it, but I think the biggest thing is now the extra point is no gimme, so teams are really starting to evaluate it. Sure, but I mean, prior to last year when they moved the extra point back to a 33-yard attempt as opposed to the, what was it, 15-yard attempt ship 17. shot, 17-yard <laughs> ship shot, Mike Tomlin was still going for two points almost every time they scored a touchdown anyway. That's just who Mike Tomlin is. He just, he doesn't want to just do the bland extra point. He likes the flash and the yeah. excitement of the two-point conversion. Some coaches just want to watch a kickoff return. Others just want to trip the guy running back. <laughs> Some, right, exactly. <laughs> That's just sort of it. who he is, you know? So I think their two-point conversion wasn't so much necessarily a strategy play. I mean, maybe a little bit. I think that it was more of just Tomlin being Tomlin okay. more than anything else. But then again, if they make that, it's a six-point game. And with no guarantee for extra right. points, yeah. And the last game I want to talk about on the Money Mitch Effect with Chris Miller, Broncos lose to the Patriots 16-3. to Yes, they did. Start with the Patriots, Chris. They clinched the division. They clinched the first round by 11-4. They've been doing this far too long. You don't think Brady's ever going to retire, right? I mean, it's just not going to, it's just not going to happen. I don't. I think if Tom <laughs> Brady was allowed to play in a wheelchair – and have like Leclerc Blunt roll him around in the pocket while he threw the ball. He would do that. That's just who he is. He's a competitor. He's one of those guys that, as he's gotten older, he's gotten better. He's got this ridiculous workout regimen, ridiculous eating regimen, and he's in really good shape. I mean, he could definitely go for a while. Yeah, and they're doing this without Gronk. It's just it's remarkable how they're able to just regroup on the fly. And that's the term I want to use: regroup, because they've. <laughs> Sure. Taking their punches. They've lost guys to injuries. They've had tragedies that have been their fault for being kind of an arrogant organization to just things outside their control. But yeah. they've been able to figure it out and move move along the way, and Belichick is Belichick, and there's just no beating him. On the other side, though, you have the Broncos team. They're now 8-6, and, and I know you're happy with that fact that the Broncos, Chris, 
are in real danger of not making the playoffs. And oh, yeah. it starts, and in my opinion, ends with how abysmal their offenses looked. Yeah, Trevor Simeon had an okay game. I mean, he had 282 yards passing, so not bad. No touchdowns. But then let's look at what's really been hurting this team more than anything else, and that's their run game. We Just underrated a- C.J. Anderson. We all have to admit that. We thought it's Kubiak, it's the system, it's right. the line. Anderson has been the biggest loss this team's had by far. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Justin Forsett, 37 yards on the ground today. Booker, 17 yards on the ground. And you don't beat a so, team like the no Patriots with, the, with that kind of run game. The score looks like it was a closer game. I mean, 16-3 to is a moderately close game. But this game was not close. The Patriots controlled them the entire game. Tom Brady was Tom Brady. He didn't have a, a fantastic game, 188 yards, 50% completion rating. Not bad. But <laughs> Lewis, 95 yards on the ground. Blunt, 31 yards on the ground. You know, this and was it, old school football. This yeah. was this was the Patriots knowing they got a good defense. We can get some points early, milk the clock. Yeah. We'll win an ugly one. And that, to me, is the difference between Simeon and Peyton Manning even last year. Manning, yeah. with his diminished skills, still had more of a command on the offense to be able to turn out some points. I just don't know that Simeon, it's not really fair to a young guy in that position, but yeah, I he's mean, looked pedestrian. He has, but I think part of that is the fact that the, the Broncos just are not running the ball very well. Mm-hmm. I think that's hurt him more than anything else. And like I said, the, the Pats, you know, not a fantastic run game today, but no. pretty darn good. You know what? And same with, I think, the Cowboys' defense. I think the Pats' defense doesn't get enough credit for how well they've been playing. Well, with the Dolphins' win on Saturday Night Football and that beatdown of the Jets with the Broncos' loss, yeah. they're 8-6. and six. They probably have to run the table against the Raiders and the Chiefs yeah, to get nice. in. Because yep. the Dolphins, you'd think, if they lose to New England, but they still have the bill, uh, Bills coming up. I mean, you got to think they're going to win one more game, so... That would really put them behind the eight ball. We got a, a jam-packed oh, yeah. finish to the season, but Broncos' chances of going back to the playoffs, not very good. Yeah, I think the Broncos right now are sitting at the nine seed behind Baltimore and Tennessee. They got, they Broncos got, and Panthers, both not in the playoffs? Yeah. Last year's Super Bowl? Well, and it's funny that you mentioned that. I got a funny, or not funny, but I got an interesting <laughs> stat that goes along I'll with that. I'll be the judge of that, but go on. It's a, I think this is a good funny. stat. It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's hilarious. No, it's a good stat, though. So if the Broncos and the Panthers don't make the playoffs, which, let's be honest, the Panthers are not making the playoffs this year, mm-hmm. this will be only the sixth time in NFL history, the Super Bowl era, that that's happened. Right. The last time it happened... Wait, I got a guess from... I got a guess. Okay. Was it... 2002? It was 2002. Boom. The last time it happened the, was after the Bucks beat the Raiders. Yeah. That was the last time the Raiders were in the playoffs. Oh, I'm going to be honest. I was off. I, I, I would have got that one wrong. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll take the heat for that. Well, it was a 2003 I season. Guessed, no, I would have guessed the year, uh, the year, yeah, the 2002 season. I think that did happen. Oh. That did happen, too. That is, so yeah, I forgot. The Patriots yeah. and the Rams both failed to make the My playoffs My guess was well. right. It just yep. wasn't the most recent time. It yeah. Was, yeah. Rams and Patriots. Yeah. So it's interesting though to bring that up that we could be looking at a whole new NFL that has parity. So yeah. Well, Chris Miller, thanks for joining the show. That was that was a great stat to kind of leave us on. And yeah. I gotta mention, I, I still think Dress Watch is on. The Colts pummeled the Vikings today. They did. But Minnesota's they, out of the playoff picture. The Colts are still alive. They gotta come to the black hole next Saturday. Oh so, gosh, that is know. just fantastic. I, I couldn't think of if Dress Watch has to end. 
I couldn't think of a better way for it to end than for <laughs> the, the Raiders than, to do Than it. in Oakland? Yeah, for sure. But I'll tell you, that's definitely a scary game. The way the Colts offense has been playing lately, Andrew Luck is definitely looking like Andrew Luck of uh, old. That's a frightening matchup with how good their passing game is. I'm glad you admit that because even with your confidence in the Raiders and thinking that they're a better team, you still are terrified of Luck with the ball in the fourth quarter and a chance to win the game because he's that type of quarterback. He's, he's that good. And... The Raiders, unfortunately, you know, until Carr can get under center and take like an actual under center snap, their red zone offense is going to struggle. So it's uh, mm, yeah. not a good scenario to be in. But must be nice to have a team winning games. That's <laughs> all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Last thanks, for being, thanks for consoling me there. That was good. Yeah. Hey, you know that's what? I've, I owe you, my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've never been zero and sixteen, but I've been one and fifteen, two and fourteen, three and thirteen. So I've been there. Okay. Uh, don't worry, there's a line at the end of the tunnel, and it's usually Jamarcus Russell. So <laughs> that's <laughs> just, good. Just, uh, just remember that. Be over here. Oh, uh, all right, Chris. Thanks for coming on the show again. My pleasure. We'll be checking in as we get into the playoffs. Can't believe we're already there, but I know. it's been a wild ride. Thanks again for joining the show. My pleasure. Big thanks, as always, to Chris Miller for coming on the Money Mission Fact and breaking down football while he can just gloat in my face that his Raiders are good and the Browns are bad. But in all seriousness, Chris, thanks for coming on the show and taking time out of your day to break down the pigskin. I'm going to bring back a segment that I brought, that I debuted a little bit ago, and that is Mitch's Three Things. And I have three, three concerns that I want to talk about. I guess concerns is a good way to put it. Three passions right now in the sports world. The first one being the Monday Night Football game that the Panthers knocking off the Redskins. We taped that segment on a Sunday night before Carolina was victorious in their victory over the Redskins 26-15, I believe that final score was. And the one thing that caught my eye on that game was, again, the officials' treatment of Cam Newton. Now, I am not somebody that thinks quarterbacks should be babied, far from it. But in the current climate, in the current climate where quarterbacks are just treated uh, coddled, if you will. There is nobody that gets the short end of the stick more than Cam Newton. Last night he slides, he gets helmet to helmet by Trent Murphy of the Redskins, and he, you know, he reacts in kind, throws the ball, probably shouldn't have done that, but again, he gets hit in a position where most quarterbacks, if not all quarterbacks, would get that call. He doesn't. It harkens back to the days of Brett Favre, Brett Favre on the Vikings in the NFC Championship game against the Saints or inexplicably the refs who have been calling things one way just stop doing it. And that I don't think is right. I mean, if you want to argue that that shouldn't be a penalty, fine. But I want to see it called against, not called against the other 31 quarterbacks in this league as well. Item number two is what is going on right now in the college football world. And that is a new new trend debuting where players, Leonard Fournette and Kirsten McCaffrey being the two prominent ones, that have high draft stocks are deciding to set out their bowl games. They're, and I should point out, they're not playoff bowl games. Bowl games that don't necessarily matter much. I have one short thing to say on this, and I'll be brief. I'm not, and never was, a college football player. Who am I to tell these guys what to do? If they want to make a business decision while they're on the verge of making life-changing money, that's their right. They have every right to do so. They've worked their whole lives to get to this point. And... In the NCAA climate where a lot of money is made, they're not making any of it. I'm not here to argue whether or not that should be a case. That's a whole other show. 
but why not make a business decision for themselves and their family? You know, that's point one on that. But the other side of that coin is if you're an athlete, if you're a guy like Ezekiel Elliott, like Kirk Herbstreit, who tweeted that they weren't in favor of it, that's okay too. I mean, if they say they would have played, who am I to disagree? I'd like to think in that situation I would have played, but I don't know. I can't put myself in their shoes. Uh, and who's to say it's foolish for a player who uh, would have wanted to play that game? It's it's their decision and their decision only. So uh, whatever they decide is the right one. That, that's all I'm really going to say about that. We, we don't know either way. It's foolish for people on the outside to think he should have played, he shouldn't have played. When we're not them, we don't live their lives, and we're not that athlete in that room making that decision. You know, ultimately, and ultimately, coming back for a year or not coming back for a year in Elliott's case is not the same as sitting out a bowl game that, quite frankly, doesn't mean as much as it has in recent memory and isn't for anything, any ring or some sort. That's point two. And point three on a more positive note, I did get a chance to watch Tim Duncan Jersey retirement on December 18th, Sunday night after the Spurs played the and defeated the New Orleans Pelicans. They retired number 21 into the Raptors. It was a very, very special time, a little emotional for a lot of us Spurs fans. And I just want to say, you know, right off the top of my head, thanks to Tim Duncan for all of his sustained success in the NBA and just doing it the right way. I think we forget that a lot of times. And the older you get, I could speak back to my 12-year-old self and not really understand that, that guy wasn't that kid wasn't really understanding what it was like to do things the right way. The older you get, the way you see people treat the media, the way they see people treat others in the organization, I just think doing it the right way means so much. It makes it that much better. But Timmy D, the big fundamental, going up into the Raptors, he's the best power forward I ever saw. He's my favorite basketball player ever, tied with Jordan. And I just want to say thanks to Timmy D for, for the way he did it and for the Spurs for honoring him. It was an emotional night hearing Pop, Manu, and Tony talk. It was something to be cherished. So, Tim Duncan, you were the best to ever do it at your position, man. Thanks for making it special. And thank you, everybody out there, for listening to The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. We have one more episode this week, and then it's going to be Christmas. Hard to believe. And this this right here, our 39th episode, we're one short of 40, and we're going to keep trying to bring you content that appeases you and you know, makes you think a little bit about sports. Thanks for listening. You can follow me at Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. And thanks again for spreading the word on this growing podcast. I say growing because it's true. We've been doing some great numbers recently. And I thank you for being a part of it. Mitch Michael signing off. Thanks for listening to The Money Mitch Fair.